Hello and welcome to the latest Bradness podcast. By way of introduction, my name is Trishna and I'm one of the employment solicitors here at Bradness based in our Lancashire office. I'm joined today by Manjit Gill, founder and CEO of Binti, which was the first charitable organisation dedicated to periods in the UK. And they're on a mission to provide menstrual dignity to all girls all over the world and in the workplace. As part of the Brabner's ongoing reproductive health campaign, Manjit and I will be exploring how Binti came to be, how cultural beliefs overlap with the stigma around periods, how periods impact individuals in the workplace, and what steps employers can take to facilitate real positive change. Welcome Manjit, thank you for joining me today. Hey Trishna, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Um, so let's get straight into it. As the founder of Binti, can you tell me what's led you to set up the organisation? Um, uh, nine years ago, I used to work for the Sherry Blair Foundation and I was a mentor with them, working with a young lady in Africa. We used to speak every week on Skype and despite the miles, our lives seemed quite similar until one day she said to me, Manjit, do you know that women in Africa don't have access to period products. And I think I was quite blown away by the fact because I've worked in a very male dominated space my whole life. And I know that if I hadn't had access to period products, then um, I wouldn't have done anything that I had done by that time. So then I went to Nairobi, I interviewed 100 girls on the ground and the stories were horrific. Some from selling themselves, others using cow dung, animal skin, and some would even sit on the hole for a week. And what that meant, of course, was that girls would drop out of school, they'd get married off quite young, and that cycle of poverty persists. I did a similar exercise in India, and what I found in India was that if you ask a girl what a period is, the only thing that she knew was that she was dirty. She didn't know where the blood came from, why she bleeds, or even how to take care of herself. So we developed an education program, and we started delivering it across the country. And I guess um, one year into that program, somebody asked me the question or they highlighted the fact that one in 10 people in the world still don't have access to clean water. And when there's a natural disaster, we do drop food and we do drop water, but we don't drop period products. And then I started thinking about the homeless women in the UK or refugees. And it soon became very apparent that this issue that I was dealing with wasn't something that was prevalent in the developing world it was actually also an issue um, at our doorstep at home in the UK so then we started looking at working here. Well yeah I mean listening to those stories it's it's shocking to think that girls have had to use animal skin and you know we know that surveys have shown that here in the UK people have used toilet paper but when you kind of hear that it takes you back a little bit um, yeah shocking and um, in terms of India you mentioned there that you know some of the girls had said that they just knew they were dirty um, and you know from my own heritage I know that there are particular cultural beliefs and how do you think those cultural beliefs interact with stigma around periods? I guess it's that whole idea right so um, for example if we just take the, the India if you're growing up and nobody tells you when you start your period what it is or explains uh, the reason behind it but then they have these rituals which suggest you're dirty. So, for example, when a girl starts, she's not allowed to cook in the kitchen or she's not allowed to sit with the family or she's not allowed to use utensils. 
And when the children will ask, well, why is it? Most of the answers, most of them are answered with, well, if it's dirty, you're dirty, you're, you're bleeding. And that's where it kind of comes from today. But if we look back at where it stems from back in the day, then those rituals have changed very much so from something that was quite positive, where, for example, if a woman um, was told not to go in the temple, the reason for it was because that people felt that women were quite vulnerable when they were on their cycle. And if they went into a temple where the vibration of music might change and the atmosphere is different, they may actually get affected by it. Those were the reasons. And they've kind of twisted over the years to suggest that you just can't go to the temple because you're dirty and you're in your period. That's really interesting that you say that, actually, because I was telling my mother-in-law that I was going to be doing this podcast with you a couple of weeks ago. Um, and when I mentioned that it was because, you know, I wanted to get it out there, the different cultural beliefs and that element of shame when you're on your period, she actually corrected me and told me what exactly what you've just told us. Um, that actually the true reason always stemmed from a positive and a more protective kind of perception but over time that's evolved and become something else and um, it got me thinking about when I started my period and I was a very young girl um, and my mum hadn't had the conversation with me at that point um, and I remember being at my grandma's and waking up that morning and obviously being in shock and just crying my eyes out and my grandma had said go round to your aunties around the corner so sort of ran round, crying my eyes out, got there. And even at the age of 10 or 11, I don't know why I knew, but I just knew I couldn't speak in front of my uncle about it. So I just sat there in silence waiting for an opportunity to go in a room alone with her, but I didn't want to ask. I didn't want to make it obvious. Um, and he actually asked me if I'd been crying and I lied and said, oh no, I just ran through the wind. So my tears were streaming down my face. Um, and then I just remember her stuffing my pockets with sanitary pads and sending me on my way. Um, it just, I don't actually know why or how I knew it wasn't something I should talk about, but it was instilled in me from that point that it's something you don't say, especially in front of your brothers, your, your dad or anyone that, of a male figure. Um, so it's just yeah. interesting to see kind of what, what you think about that. I, I mean, I remember as a child, um, when I started, I think I was about 12. And I guess for me, the idea that I had done something wrong and I had blood in my underwear, that's what kind of stemmed me with this feeling of guilt. And then I, when I went to my mother, very similar to yourself, um, I, I, that guilt was probably entrenched on my face, which probably also made my mum feel quite uncomfortable. But all she did was... Uh, chuck a bag of sanitary or period products into my hand and that was it and, I, and she had that look on her face you know the one that says don't, don't ever talk about this again yeah but yeah. I also remember growing up that when I washed my underwear for example I was always told to put a towel over it so that my brothers or my dad wouldn't see it and so I kind of understand the shame thing from back in the day and how it all started and I guess that hasn't changed much and again of course the reason why families don't talk about periods is because periods are too closely related to sex. When you start your period, you can have sex and get pregnant and have a baby. And and that idea of the sexual conversation, we haven't really mastered how to have those discussions yet either. So I think that's where some of that shame comes from. That's, a, again, a really interesting way of looking at it, actually. I've never thought about it in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's interesting you talk about the guilt um, that brings back a memory to me as we're, we're talking and having this conversation of a time when I wanted to go to the temple to a festival that 
all my friends would go to and it was the only chance I'd get to see them during the week. Um, and you can't attend the temple if you're on your period, of course. So um, I was told I couldn't go. Um, and when I'd sort of challenged why I couldn't go, how would anybody know I was on my period if I didn't tell them? I can't actually recall who it was who said this to me, whether it was a mom or an auntie. Um, but somebody said that if there was any pregnant ladies in the room that I could potentially kill their unborn child. Um, and it, you know, it just now looking back and having that memory, I, I can't believe that that was okay to say to a young girl just wanting to go out and see her friends like everybody else that was there. I spoke to someone just a few days ago, actually, and um, she's a private investor. And she said to me that this was, uh, I think it was 10, 15 years ago, it was the first time she'd gone to the Golden Temple in in India, and that's the re most religious place for the Sikhs, for example. And um, her aunt told her that she couldn't bathe in the water with her feet because she was on her period. And the reason for it was, was because if she did, then people would get sick around her. And she's an intelligent, educated woman from the UK, but she believed what this woman said to her because you kind of you kind of grow up with some of these um ideas and cultural norms that you we don't really question do we we just kind of go along with them absolutely and i mean that brings me to the next question which is um and kind of going back to the original question that i asked that in the workplace we know that there's a stigma and a taboo around the subject of, of periods and menstrual health and do you think that some of these cultural challenges might make that difficult to break down. Well, um, I think I should highlight at this point as well um, that, again, these cultural stigmas don't just exist everywhere else but the Western world. So, for example, in the Western world, we still see adverts for blue liquid uh, when we're showing absorbency of pads, right? So that hasn't changed. It's changing, beginning to change, but it hasn't changed for the longest time. And also we still stick products up our sleeves because we don't want other people to know that we're menstruating. And I think this fact um, that many people may not know is that even the Samaritans, the reason for the Samaritans started was because a young girl started a period. She thought she had um, an illness that was going to kill her and she, she, she actually committed suicide and the priest who performed her last ritual rites um, in he is the guy that started the Samaritans but they don't actually talk about it can you imagine that a story like that if you're an organization you would talk about it quite a lot right but they don't and I guess it's because it's to do with menstruation wow I'm, I actually feel slightly lost for words there I think that's shocking I didn't know that that's again something I've learned today. Um... Yeah, and I, I would just add also, most of us in the UK use toilet paper in between buying period products. And I know it sounds crazy when we talk about um, using cow dung or animal skin, but let's put things into perspective. You know, that's the developing world. We're one of the most forward-thinking countries in the world, yet most women in the UK use toilet paper in between buying period products. And the reason for that is period products are available in, sorry, toilet paper is available in all public spaces. And we also know that if organizations who were to put period products into their toilets, the toilet paper consumption would decrease 
and in effect would pay for free period products for all. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And I think from a business perspective, when you put it into context like that, it, it makes sense, but it it's, goes beyond that. And it's the supporting women in the workplace. It shouldn't just be about the cost to the business, um, which I know isn't isn't the point you're making, but the point that I want to make to listeners that it's not just about weighing up business cost. It's, it's about supporting our employees in the workplace to be productive and not have to worry and feel anxious and think, oh, I've got toilet paper sitting through a meeting, then worrying about whether they might have an accident or you know get up and find that there's a leak or anything like that it it just shouldn't be the case have you seen a change in uk society and specifically in the workplace about how we talk and deal with periods or do you still think we are very far behind um no i've absolutely seen a change i think when we started eight years ago we were the first period charity in the uk and there has been an explosion in the conversation around menstruation Uh, We signed up Surrey County Council last year, who became the first council in England to provide free period products in over, I think right now it's about 55 locations, and also to eradicate the stigma by having the conversation. So so from being in a place where we weren't even talking about it at all, and women, homeless women were still um, using socks or kitchen, uh, sorry, paper towels from toilets, to now be in a place where we've got a council that are right behind the campaigning, it's a massive change. Um, we're also we've also got our education, menstrual education, um, as part of the curriculum in the Gambia. So again, it, it, it's changing really, really slowly. But if we think about what's happened um, for the last twenty years, then it's gone quite quick. Absolutely. It was actually reported in the Sky News yesterday that the first country in Europe is Spain um, who have decided to offer menstrual leave to women suffering from severe period pain for up to three days a month and that they're Mm -hmm. going to provide sanitary products for marginalised women. Not quite sure what the definition of that will be um, and will remove VAT from from the cost of sanitary products in the markets. There obviously are countries across Asia that already are ahead in terms of doing these things. But what are your thoughts on the offer of leave in the workplace? I think, again, um, there's so many things that an organisation would have to consider. And sometimes for us, we go in with this idea of we're cherry picking, right? There's things that you can change. So the first one is to provide free period products. The second one is to make sure that we're providing menstrual health workshops so that we can actually talk about the issue and we can create an environment where women are feeling more comfortable about having those discussions. You know, rather than saying, "Um, I'm not coming into work today because I've got a bellyache or I've got a headache, they can at some point start being honest because the organization recognizes that these are things that we go through on a monthly basis. And how do we support the women that go through them? So things are changing. We've also lately, as you've probably seen, started having the conversation around the menopause as well. And I can't remember what number exactly, but it was quite high of women that are going through it in the workplace. So if we want to support our workforce, then we do need to start normalizing these conversations so that we can um, then look at policy change and look at ways of supporting them to work at their maximum absolutely and as you say the demographic in the workplace there's 
a significant proportion of that in multiple businesses um, of women going through menopause. And that is, you know, a, an issue that is at the forefront at the moment. Um, but alongside that, Brabner's is, is currently in the midst of doing a reproductive health campaign as a whole, looking at the whole life cycle um, from menstrual health, endometriosis, IVF, miscarriage and stillbirth right through to menopause and how all of those issues impact the workforce at different times in their in their lifetime and their their working um life so how employers can support that interestingly the article that i mentioned says that concerns have been raised about the initiative that spain have proposed um saying that actually the impact of it could be that it stigmatizes women and it could result in a reluctance from employers to recruit women due to the possibility of them having three days a month um, potentially that they could be off because as you say they, they might have a bit of bellyache in some cases it will obviously be far more severe and, and warranted but in some cases it could be taken advantage of what do you think about that? I think um, if we just look at the world today and we've just gone through Covid right so going through Covid and our workplace has changed completely from being in the office every day to now um, what's, what's the new term for working at home and hybrid, hybrid working, working. Yeah. hybrid working right and um there's always going to be there's always going to be advantages and disadvantages of any new policy change and uh, of course as women that are uh, leading the way in the workforce place and competing with men you know we, we would never say that um we're on our period and we need a little more help or we're not able to do something because um because because our, our we've we've got period pain, right? But it's that it's that understanding that well, how do we want to create change, really, within our organisation? What does our organisation stand for? Is it always going to be that okay, we're cutthroat? We've, we're really thinking about how much money we're making, and it's a man's world that we live in, because women still have babies. Women will take maternity leave. Somehow we've managed to master that campaign or that idea around maternity leave. And maybe it's not 100%, but it works, right? So this idea of menstrual leave, it's something that's brand new and we haven't really thought about it perhaps, but if you do have period products in the workplace, if you are aware of what women go through, so you are beginning to have menstrual health workshops so that the whole of the workforce understand it, then education will always create um, a movement for change and even things around PMS jokes or the human, um, well it's bad humour, the, the conversations that we have that stig stigmatise menstru menstruation even further, those things can only change if we start having those conversations. So yeah, it's a new concept to get your head around but guess what? We're bleeding, we're suffering. We may tell you, we may not tell you, we'll be doing this every single day already. So if you're now gonna start helping up, um, your workforce by understanding what they're going through, then that's that's the only way forward, isn't it? And I, I think other things just to bear in mind is some of the menstrual um, illnesses, women take 10 years for themselves to get diagnosed. And if until we start changing these things where they're becoming, uh, more informative and we're becoming more aware of conversations we won't actually know what normal periods are and that's, and I guess this is the change that we're working towards by running all these initiatives and campaigning for change. Absolutely um, and I think as you say the important part is starting the conversation 
and there are other steps that employers can take which it's not necessarily a case of an employee being off work or having leave as such but having access to sanitary products perhaps having the opportunity to work from home or work flexible hours if they need to um, at certain times it's, it's all things that can be achieved and in most cases the business can sustain it's just how we get employers to see the value in this and and the bigger picture and actually it's not just about monetary value it's about loyalty and trust and that relationship between an employer and employee you know remember the organizations that suddenly had table tennis um, tables or pizzas on friday or um, what else was it dressing down on fridays you know those things were quite new 20 years ago when they started coming into the fore but it's that thing right so why can't it be normal to have a little couch where you have a hot water bottle for example or you have access to pain relief or you have an abundance of period products in in the toilets it's those things that will create that change because you're now normalizing something that we go through anyway regardless and when I would say that, for example, when we've when we speak to someone who's never really openly discussed their menstruation, just saying the word period without lowering the voice, you know, like somebody might say, "Oh, I've just started my period," and they whisper the word period. Once you've once you've found the confidence to talk about it with a normal tone, or accepting that it is normal, and other people around you accept that it's normal, that's how change starts. And I think if we're looking at period policy changing within the organization, that's kind of how you have to have it. You have to eliminate that first idea of stigma or shame by normalizing the conversation. And it's so easy to normalize it because once you've talked about your own period story, that's it. You you, you create room for other women to talk about their own. And I think that that's all that's really required to start a campaign around uh, change within an organization. I don't think you could be any more right there, to be honest, Manjit, because even just being part of the reproductive health campaign team here at Brabner's, I have opened up so much. Um, and I was telling the team the other week that, you know, in front of my family, we were talking about, funnily enough, dogs and what what the term is when a dog is in heat. But obviously the reality is it's a period. It's a period for a dog. Um, and I sort of hesitated at first to talk about it because my father-in-law and uncles were in the room and then I thought no I'm going to talk about this um, and so I did and even though it wasn't necessarily me talking about me being on my period as you say it's just that hesitation of, of saying the word out loud in certain circumstances but now that I have I feel that I could do that I feel a lot more open and able to talk about it um, than, I, than I did you know six months ago so it's just so powerful being able to have that conversation. You're giving other people permission. One of the first things that one of the first organizations we worked with um, was EY. And this was about, I don't know, seven years ago. They had a female rugby player come in um, during International Women's Day, which was in March the 8th. Um, and I remember there was about 200 people in the room, mostly were women, but there were men in there. And it was question time. And everybody had been asking her general questions about sports and how the sporting world for women. And then I put my hand up and I said, can I just ask you, how does menstruation affect your sporting training, for example? And all I remember was there was this 150 pair of eyes that looked at me and 
thought, I could see on their faces, they thought, did she just say menstruation out loud in the workplace? And a crazy thing happened because they have a women's um, support organization. The, um, the leader of it noticed and then she made a decision as an organization to create the change and bring menstruation into the workplace. So we started having more events around it. We got free period products into their organization. They did some campaigns with us so that we could provide free period products for people that needed them across the country. And that's kind of how you create change. You don't, it, as soon as you say the word period or you tell someone your period story, you give permission to someone else to do it. And I guess that's the key. I think, um, for example, uh, it's we need a champion. Um, once you have a champion and a champion talking about different uh, issues that women have, working with an organization like us, for example, we have a number of period policies that we can help you devise your period policy. The campaign really to get free period products within the organization, look at where you can place them. So the reason why I say that the government decided in 2019 that they were going to give free access to schools uh, so that all children can have access to period products. And what they did was they set up a software program and schools had a budget and they were allowed to order from, and order from a selection of period products and then they were delivered to the school. But what they hadn't really thought about was, well, now you have them in the school, how are you going to get the access to the children like how will they be able to pick up the period products without any added stigma or shame so now these products are just sitting in cupboards in schools across the country or in the medical rooms but the girls are still going through humiliation for having to go and ask to use the bathroom or to go and get access to them so it's something that you have to kind of consider well how do we make sure that anybody that needs them, how do they use them and how do we make it really open? So what we do is, um, you know, for example, the best way to explain it is if you go into a store, you usually there's a sticker on the door, isn't there? A MasterCard or a Visa card, um, Amex, you know, yeah. that you can use one of those cards. So what we've done is we've created a selection of stickers and each organization, so with Surrey, they have a sticker on, on the outside door, which says free period products are available here. And then we have stickers in the bathrooms or the toilets themselves, which say, if you need period products, this is what you have to do. So now, not only have we given them information about how to access the period products, we also know that they're available. But what these stickers do is they generate conversation around periods because you're suddenly going to be seeing these stickers in your organization and you're going to wonder what they are. And then you're going to say, you might look at it for the first time and think, oh my God, does that actually say menstruation on there? And it's that, isn't it? So you're we're starting the conversation around periods, trying to normalize it, getting more people to be open about it and having access to period products within the toilets. Because I guess, you know, we, we covered the fact that you don't want organizations to look at the monetary aspect of it. But if they were aware that once a month, a woman might actually leave the workplace at, say, lunchtime, go and look for a chemist where she can go and buy her period products, might need to buy underwear or change of clothing. That could be an hour loss every month in that person's life at work. Imagine how many women are doing that on a day-to-day -day basis. So we can really 
amplify the cost of not creating this change. And again, the reason why I say it like this, for example, people would say to me, well, Manjit, how did you ever feel really embarrassed or like, how do you have these conversations so openly? And I would say that the conversation is always packaged in terms of the audience that I'm speaking to. So if I was to go into a boardroom and I was speaking to a group of men, I'm not really going to focus too much on the fact that periods hurt and how much blood we bleed and the product absorbency. But what I am going to talk about is the monetary aspect of it so that they can really understand the impact that a policy change like this can create. Because understandably, sometimes they are only interested in the bottom line, right? So have that conversation based on what they're looking for. Absolutely. And I think I think the problem is in the workplace as well, or not problem, so to speak, but a challenge is that male colleagues perhaps feel quite uncomfortable. As you say, with women, if, we, if you talk about menstrual health, you almost give each other permission and empower each other to talk about it. Um, but where, where do male colleagues fit into this? How can we, how can employers help male colleagues to understand and to be open to the conversation and engage? I would say it's exactly the same way. Um, although we have sex education in the UK, we all remember that video, right, where we kind of close our eyes and we've all seen it. And it never made sense to any of us at that age, but things haven't changed. It's still the same. That's still what the kids are seeing today. And again, it's that idea of um, the lack of education. Uh, the lack of education in schools means that when kids do have sex education, the boys and the girls are segregated. The boys are never really taught about menstruation. So if we give ourselves permission to talk about menstruation, we're kind of giving them permission to talk about the things that they go through. So that it, it, ultimately it's the, the health, right? The reason why we're doing this is because we want to be able to support each other through health issues. And men suffer quietly with their own health issues and we suffer throughout. So at some point, we are going to be able to join forces and say, you know what, we need to have these conversations so that we can just live better lives. It's really interesting and also extremely important because part of our campaign, we've talked in our group meetings about how the impact isn't always just on the individual in terms of menstrual health, perhaps more so. But in some of the other cases, it, it can have a really big impact on the mental health of their partner um, and their well-being. And, you know, going back to the workplace, it's it's important that we have that understanding of each other, as you say, of all the genders and all of the challenges so that there is this forum that we can talk about it and prevention, really looking at how we can prevent a situation where the answer is to be off sick or to leave your employment. We want to keep keep men and women um, in the workplace and to be supporting them through the challenges that they face. Um, we talked earlier and you gave a really interesting example of, you know, a woman having to go out and spend an hour trying to find um, sanitary products, perhaps having to replace the knickers, etc. which, you know, I can hold my hand up and say I have been in that situation before um, and it's not a very pleasant situation to be in. Um, but in terms of the loss of productivity, on, on the Binti website, you refer to the survey carried out by Totem and one of the stats, I mean, all of the stats were very shocking. Um, and I'll, I'll just for the purpose of our listeners say what they are, but uh, one of them was 80% say that they worry about their period at work. 80% said that their offices don't have period product vending machines. And 76% said that periods have disrupted their working day. Um, 
I just think that that's such a massive statistic. What what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, even just through my own personal life, I know there's been times where um, I'm in a meeting or I'm presenting and, you know, we all have that moment where we think, oh, have I just started? But you just carry on, don't you? You carry on with a smile on your face and and at the end of the session, you'll go running to the toilet and check what it is that has happened. And it's it's that. It happens to all of us. And when we and some of us won't ever admit that it does happen because we're so embarrassed or we think it's a private thing. You know, it's our underwear, it's our body. But we have to be open and willing to accept that just because we have that privilege where we're able to afford period products or run to the shop at lunchtime or even have two pounds to put in the vending machine. Not everybody has that. I and mean, who carries coins these days anyway? This idea that we have to buy period products in toilets, it's, it's the craziest idea that I can ever think of. I mean, Heathrow Airport, it costs four pounds to buy a pad when you arrive at the airport if you've started. Who has local currency when they arrive in a country to start off with? It's We live in a man's world. Somebody isn't thinking about the effects of not having open access for products to women. I think I've um, forgotten the question that you started with, but <laughs> it, was, it was about the statistic and the the productivity. The fact that seventy six percent of people said that it had disrupted their working day. I mean, when you think of that yeah. in terms of productivity and the impact it has on employers, what better incentive than to realise that there's something that needs to be done to to stop that, to to stop that disruption, or where there is disruption to be able to minimize that disruption yeah i mean we all bleed <laughs> let me on any given day um, there's going to be a huge percentage of the women in your workplace bleeding so um when we do these when we come up with these stats they're shocking because they've never been looked at before but like for example i think it was in 2019 um, a survey was done by plan international and they found that one in ten girls in the uk could not afford period products. And then 2021, that went up to one in three girls couldn't afford period products. And it's only because organizations like ourselves exist that we're now pushing for these numbers to come to the fore. And that's why these numbers are so high in organizations because we've never really talked about it before. We've never looked at it. When I first started, I thought this problem was just in the developing world. and. Here we are in 2022, and we know that these are the num these numbers are still very accurate. It takes 10 years to be diagnosed with a menstrual health illness. Absolutely. I mean, I think that every business is on its own journey, um, and it's going to take time for things to, to change. Um, I think we've seen so far as part of doing this campaign, we've only seen very few um, news articles published where big companies, I think it might have been Wix, um, that had had stated a while back that they would be providing sanitary products across all their warehouses, um, and and of course the the, sh the retail stores, um, and it's just shocking that there's there's only so few that are on board, and it's such a simple thing it seems. We know that Binti have your Dignity at Work campaign, and you've got a period policy. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I will. I'm just going to um, add to. Uh, the conversation because what I've allowed you to do is I've allowed you to use the word sanitary all the way through and one of the big things that we um, advocate for is change of language 
because accessibility means that you have access to period products. So we don't call them sanitary pads anymore. We call them period products or menstrual products because sanitary, again, suggests that something is dirty, if that makes sense. Menstrual yeah. health day is what how we refer back to it, although some still call it menstrual hygiene day. It, it's, you know, the, it's these small things that will create that change because even the idea of using blue liquid versus using red liquid, it kind of perpetuates this um, conversation around the fact that, well, we don't want the men to know that we bleed every month, do we? Let's just show blue liquid. It's that, right? Sub subconsciously, we're keeping that conversation hidden from view and from normalizing it. So, um, yeah, language is really important. I will but. definitely keep that in mind. And, and you know, again, it's, it's as you say earlier, I, I almost go to say period products and there's that slight hesitation and you think, what's the correct terminology? What what am I supposed to say? Um, mm. But, you know, now now that you've almost given me that permission to say, no, it's OK to say that, that will probably stick with me and I probably will never say sanitary products ever again. Um, but And that sometimes yeah, is all it takes. It's yeah, and, and um, the retailers, I can't remember if it was Asda who did it. Um, I think Boots have done it now. They've always called it feminine hygiene aisles, and now they've changed it to period products. Because again, um, this is we want to create that change so that everyone is looking at it from a positive standpoint. And we've always looked at it from a shameful discussion. Shameful, this is only for women. We don't really want to open that um, so that everyone's talking about it. So these are the small changes and language is really important. And I guess when we um, look at the Dignity at Work campaign, Dignity at Work, this term period poverty, I'm not a fan of that either because what again, what we're doing is we're perpetuating this idea that, um, you know, if you can't afford to buy food or water or if you're on school lunches, the last thing you want to do is be known as a kid that, have school lunches paid for. If you can't afford period products, you don't want other people to know that you can't afford period products. Let's not call it period poverty. Poverty is poverty. You know, let's call it poverty, but let's not call it period poverty, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so dignity, we, our campaign is dignity at work. How do we take dignity at work? Well, the first thing that we do is um, when we have these conversations and we talk about the issues and we kind of bring that the issues to the fore because i would say that most organizations are probably not even aware that these are the issues that women face within their workplace so we will talk about our work and how we came about and why we exist and then talk about the fact that um, women might leave the office one one once a month at lunchtime or maybe even in the middle of the day or how long it takes to get diagnosed with illnesses. An organization doesn't have to take everything that we do on board, but they can start with just providing free period products, for example. So we'll talk them all the way through the process. So again, we have the free period products, we have the period policy that we can tune in with however or whatever campaign they have currently. And then we look at putting in the the marketing material, which include the stickers and the posters, so that we can eradicate the stigma and the shame. And I think, you know, to be fair, you can't just put free period products in the toilets. That although ticks off one of those boxes, it's not going to create the impact and the change that you want to have, where you really want to 
be the organization that everybody wants to work with because you really understand your workforce. That sounds fantastic and it's, it's a really amazing thing to be doing and I think that support especially for employers who kind of listen to they're listening to it they're reading about it that they know that there's something to be done but knowing that there is support out there to help them on that journey um, and even if it is just getting them started off and helping them to develop their own period policies I mean I think it's important that a lot of this is is influenced by employees and as you say you mentioned earlier having those period workshops where people can talk about the challenges that they face and then using that data and insight into how it affects particular employees it might be that toilets are too far away or things like mm -hmm. that, that that they can then make adaptations and things to the workplace so there's going to be a an element of consultation almost um with employees to help inform their best practice in the workplace there isn't a one-size-fits-all as such there's so many aspects of bringing in a campaign to create that change within the workplace thank you manjit before we finish would you like to share a binti success story with our listeners today well um i'm gonna keep it a really positive and exciting one um it's uh, the, the queen's platinum jubilee this year isn't it mm -hmm. and um i would say that the one of the the things that makes me the most happiest is that I got the Queen to talk about periods and uh, she awarded us an MBE for wow. the work that I've done over the last eight years. Fantastic. So, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Congratulations. That That is definitely a good success story and a great positive note to finish on. Um, so thank, thank you so much for your time today, Manja. I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, thank you from a personal, you know, perspective. I, I feel like I've learned so much and I really hope that this encourages and empowers and, and gives others permission to do so um, and to be open about it. Yeah thank you and I guess my advice to anyone who has is on the, the who considers starting that uh, journey of being more comfortable with menstruation in themselves is just talk about your own period story with the people around you and once you do you will feel such a sense of relief because um, you're able to talk about it but also if you have any inhibitions that you're not actually aware of those will come out and again for the other person that you're talking to you give them permission and that's the only way to start the change and the, the conversation and normalize it for not only yourselves but all of those girls sitting in a remote village around the world where perhaps they don't have access or nobody's ever talked about periods to them it's a ripple effect everything that we're doing and creating change here um, has an effect on them and their lives. Thanks Manjit, it was truly a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks very much Trishna, take care. You can find out more information about our reproductive health campaign and how Bravners can support you or your business on our website. Thank you for listening. 